It's Wired, the Pistons podcast, presented by Chief. Here's your host, Matt Derry. Right, let's do it another week in another installment of Wired. It is the Pistons podcast as the Pistons embark on a 10-game stretch coming up in which seven of those next 10 games are right here at home at Little Caesars Arena and the friendly confines of the LCA in Detroit. Back for another week of the podcast, and we'll get into what took place on the West Coast. The trip that went 1-3 and three for Detroit, but saw Saturday's lone win against the Clippers as an unbelievable day, certainly for Blake Griffin and this franchise. Detroit won that basketball game, and Blake exacted some revenge on his former team by going for 44 points, eight rebounds, five assists, three steals, and a block. We'll dive right into that day with Brian Seaman. He is the play-by-play voice of the L.A. Clippers, has known Blake his entire career, and will give us a kind of a first-hand account of what Saturday, last Saturday, was like And let me tell you this, as somebody that observes each and every one of these Pistons games, that was as good a game as there is all season, because you're watching the guy that is the face of this franchise, who's going to be here now and in the future, all right? He's under contract for three more seasons after this at a very paltry number, $30 million plus. Blake Griffin went into Saturday and whooped some butt. He went in Saturday to L.A., and exercise some demons against a franchise that told him he was going to be there forever, a clipper for life. He dissed, whether he wants to admit it or not, he dissed the owner, Steve Ballmer, who tried to shake his hand, ran back into the tunnel, into the locker room, came back out, and dropped a 44-burger on him. That's something, that kind of excitement, that kind of edge and attitude, that's kind of what Pistons basketball has been missing for a long, long time. And I think we're lucky to have a guy like Blake Griffin. Brian Seaman, voice of the Clippers, will join us momentarily to talk about that day. All right, so Orlando in here on Wednesday. Three straight at home, three straight on the road after that, and then four straight at home after that. Weird 10-game stretch, three home, three away, four home for this Pistons team. And they got to get their act together. At 18-23 and 23 and out of the playoff picture right now, you heard the owner, Tom Gorris, tell the media on Saturday, uh, uh, or maybe it was uh, last week during the Lakers game, uh, this team has to play better and should play better. And one thing I want to point out before we get Brian on here from L.A. is, is the fact that you could talk about so many different things and, and injuries and Ish Smith finally coming back and, and this and that and Andre Drummond. The bottom line is this. Reggie Jackson makes $17 million. Next year he'll make over 18 Reggie Jackson on the road trip shot 31%, 17 of 55. On the road trip, Reggie Jackson shot 5 out of 24 from 3. Your starting point guard, Reggie Jackson, on the road trip, 4 games, 4. Losses in L.A. and Sacramento, a win over the Clippers and a loss in Utah. Reggie Jackson shot 4 free throws. Not made 4 free throws, attempted 4 free throws. And you look at his numbers over the years, over the years, and you see a guy that can score the basketball. He was known a couple of years ago by the man that actually started this podcast before me, Jake Chapman, as Mr. Fourth Quarter. And yet, those days have been gone for the last couple of months. Reggie put on a good show in November. Four games over 20 points or more. December, one. January, he's yet to do it. If this team's going to take that next step, get back in the playoff picture, get into the postseason and make a little noise, and get things to be exciting on a consistent basis again at Little Caesars Arena, their point guard 
He's got to do better than 14 points a game and four assists. And play better than he's played on this road trip. And it starts with this little homestand here with games Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. It's got to happen. And, you know, like I said, Blake Griffin's playing his butt off. Guys off the bench, yes, there's some inconsistency. We saw certain things on the trip that we liked. Ish Smith coming back Monday is definitely going to help. All right, but Reggie Jackson's got to perform. That's a big do- that's a big dollar number for a guy that that has performed in the past and can play this game. It's not like he's a bad basketball player, but he has to play better and shoot it better if this team is going to win. All right, so we've been discussing certainly the return of Blake Griffin to Los Angeles over the weekend and what a return it was with the 44 points against his former team, the man that was courtside and there and. Witness Blake Griffin's first eight and a half years as a Clipper as their play-by-play voice. A guy I have an immense amount of respect for, one of the better voices around the league. Brian Seaman joining us now. What's up, Brian? Matt, always good to chat with you, my friend. I know. Back at you, my man. Uh, what was Saturday like for you and and certainly for, for Clipper Nation, I guess? And uh, I got a chance to listen to, to the open of the broadcast and what you guys did to, to pay your respect to, to Blake Griffin for everything that he did. But it was kind of a weird day, wasn't it? It, it, it was weird. I was excited and nervous at the same time. I was excited for the fans. Uh, you know, Blake brought a lot of those people with him. You know, when he came here, he discovered the fans and vice versa. And, uh, you know, the sellout streak the Clippers had of 280 games started Blake's rookie season. No Chris Paul. It was started with Blake. He brought the eyeballs. He brought the people into the crowd. So I was excited for them. A lot of people felt kind of disappointed that the Clippers traded Blake, but when he got there, I knew that they'd get a nice open, give him a nice ovation. Uh, all deserved. I thought the tribute video was really well done, kind of spanning his entire career. And, you know, the nervous part of it was I knew that he was capable of uh, detonating, and I knew that he had some hard feelings. I still think that uh, against the organization and, and the way that he felt that, you know, the situation went down. So, I was concerned about how great he was going to be. And, you know, I saw every minute, every basket, every dunk he had for the first eight and a half years of his career. And I never saw him play better than he did on Saturday against the Clippers. Easily expected. I mean, you could have predicted that, but he went above and beyond. He was sensational within the ball game, And, you know, kudos to him. I'm glad he's healthy. Um, and I'm glad the people in Detroit get to watch him at, at the peak of his powers because he can do some really special things out there. Let's start with before the game, and obviously it's been documented, uh, you know, with the video, kind of blowing off Steve Ballmer, the owner. Um, Doc Rivers had nothing but nice things to say about him. But what was the the, the feeling in the gym like? You know, two two and a half hours before the game when he when Blake arrives. You know, it was uh, you, when he walked out. There were there weren't there weren't a ton of people in the stands because it was an earlier game. It was a twelve thirty game for us, and uh, only people have a tendency to show up a little bit later. But those that were there, there was a nice little murmur and a small applause, not because they didn't appreciate it, it was just those who were there. And he went through his regular routine, and and uh, although shooting at a different basket than he used to do, uh, and he went through his routine and he went through his stuff, and clearly he was he was very ready for the ball game. And ownership and everything else aside, I mean, it seems like I know there was some barking after the game, but um, do you feel like everybody did their best to kind of make make it the the day that they wanted it to be to be made, despite the fact that obviously he was, you know, told he was going to be a Clipper for life and then traded. That is the business part of it, isn't it, Brian? Yeah. No. And listen, I get his hard feelings. I understand where he's coming from. 
It's a business, though, and, you know, I think the Clippers went into signing him and thought this guy's going to be here for life. He's going to be the magnet that attracts other players. Uh, but, you know, I think the underlying story, and these are my views. These are not the views of the front office. They, you know, the underlying part of it is, you know, he did get injured a lot. In those first, those last few years, he missed over 120 games or so, whatever it was. And when the Pistons reached out and said they'd be interested in trading for Blake, I think the Clippers had to do their due diligence, listen to the trade, look at the, you know, the, the climate in the Western Conference at that point in time, very challenging to overcome anything Golden State was doing. And I, I was 100% on board uh, for sure with the trade uh, when it happened, even though it was six, seven months before they told him he was going to be a Clipper. And, and the, the thing I always go back to, and while Lawrence Frank is the team president and he's the guy where, you know, and Piston fans are certainly familiar with Lawrence, I think he's terrific and I think the Clippers are very lucky to have him. Sure. They, also have this guy, they also have this guy named Jerry West who's a consultant. And when Jerry West signs off on a trade, I don't care what, a fan or anybody else thinks you say, okay, well, then that's the right thing to do. And, uh, when I knew that Jerry was on board, I thought, okay, this is going to be a new start. It's changed my job a little bit. You know, I miss Blake flying around Staples Center, and I saw things I didn't think anybody could ever do, and I always appreciated it. So uh, I get I get hard feelings from Blake. I really do. They'll subside. There'll be a day when he forgets it. He understands it was in the moment. He's an emotional guy. But his roots are going to be here. His jersey will be retired at one point in time, whether that's in 10 years, 15 years, whenever he stops playing. I hope he finishes on his own terms. But he'll be back here. And I know he's upset now, but that will subside. Brian Seaman, play-by-play voice on the radio side for the L.A. Clippers, uh, joining me here on The Wired, the Pistons podcast. Matt Derry with you, brought to you by Jeep. All right, when you look at what you saw on the floor, like you said, maybe the best performance you've ever seen from him, going for 48 a win that they desperately needed on a West Coast trip where they had been struggling. But he's had to change his game, hasn't he, Brian? And isn't that what this league is all about when guys get to his age? It is, and and, and there's those that do it, and there are those that are kind of stubborn about it. Blake has honestly been trying to change his game since his first year, and this is a credit to him. You know, I think he came into the league as a guy that was very athletic, that played basketball. Now he's a basketball player that is very athletic. I mean, he's in the prime of his physical life right now. And I mentioned how this process began many years ago. I think it was in 2012, the Clippers hired a shooting coach by the name of Bob Tate. And, you know, I don't know if if your listeners play any other sports. I, I love golf. I've watched baseball, blah, blah, blah. And I've seen these guys change pitching motions or batting motions or golf swings. And it seems as though it can take about a year, year and a half for those to fully take. In basketball, even though the motion seems, you know, way more easier and, and not as challenging as those ones I just mentioned, I think it takes two to three times as long to get comfortable with it. And I remember Bob Tate telling me this. He's like, Blake will be the best shooter on whatever team he's on in about five years. And that was in 2012. Well, here we are five years later, and it's Reggie Bullock and it's Blake Griffin as your best three-point shooters. And I mean, he had the Harden step back going down a few times. I mean, he moved really well. He, I think he loves this role. He's kind of a point forward. He's a great passer. They don't think people talk enough about that. Uh, he looked phenomenal. All the hard work he's put in over the years is paying off right now. When you look at what the Clippers kind of let go, uh, the Pistons were desperate for a star. The Clippers had had him, like we talked about, for eight and a half years and had some stars around him, like you said, including CP3. But 
um, to get back uh, Tobias Harris, Boban, and and certainly some cap space and 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 a draft pick. Uh, you know, you got to look at this trade for both teams and say it, it probably did the trick for both, as you had said on your pregame show the other day. It was a win-win, and it doesn't always work that way. Uh, you're right. I mean, the assessment for Detroit, they needed a star. They've got Blake for four years and, and maybe more by, by the sounds of it. He's loving life in Detroit. Now, can he get somebody to come out there and play with him? Detroit is as good, if not the best sports town in the country. So I find it hard to believe that they won't get support there for Blake. There's no doubt in my mind. And I actually had the opportunity to work with Dwayne Casey many years ago. I know who that guy is, like as a coach and as a person to be around. So you've got two really good salespeople there to help bring people in. As for the Clippers, you know, they were they were kind of up against the ropes. I mean, Golden State is a supernova, and they're not going to contend right now. So uh, it was very obvious, I think, at the start of last season, if you could do something, they did. And Tobias Harris is, I think, in my book, whether he makes it or not, he's an all-star. You got Shea Gilgis-Alexander out of that trade as a draft pick. Boban has been terrific when he has played, and Avery Bradley, while his offense is struggling, defensively, one-on-one, on the ball, he might be as good as there is in the league. And, oh, by the way, the cap space, which is kind of the hidden uh, feature of that trade. The Clippers potentially have two max slots for July, so this is a destination. You've got a great coach. You've got a great backbone that will be here even when you sign those two guys, potentially. So it's it really, I mean it sincerely, is a win-win, maybe a win-win-win, because the Pistons and the Clippers win. But I do believe Blake, at the end of the day, this is the kind of ball he wants to play, and he's thriving. When you look at the team that's around Blake Griffin, obviously Reggie Bullock you know from, from his days with the Clippers, and I know you referenced that in your broadcast the other day when I was listening. Um, I test for you for Detroit. How, how far away is this team, and what do they, what do they have to do to put, uh, put around Blake? They need another star on the wing is what they need. Bullock is great there to protect Blake. I mean, he was just kind of hiding out on the perimeter. Anytime the Clippers misread a double team or they didn't do it properly, Bullock made them pay. I mean, not just, I mean, like really made them pay. I think he had five threes in the game. Uh, and they, I would imagine they need, to be honest, if you want my view of it, they need a true point guard. This is a point guard league. And Reggie Jackson is a slasher, but his role has changed to being kind of, as he has said, a spot-up shooter. Ish Smith is a guy that I really, really enjoy watching play. And I think some of the struggles Detroit uh, that they're going through or have gone through is partially because he's not been there to kind of push the pace. But I would imagine a perimeter player out there that that could really help them get over the top if you can keep Drummond happy there as well. I mean, you've got some pieces. You've got a great town and a great coach. It's not that far off, if you want me to be honest. And I've never met him, but I know the ownership group, uh, Tom Gores, I've heard nothing but great things from Lawrence Frank about. So you've got all the pieces. It might not look great right now. I don't know if they make the playoffs in the East, but you've got a guy in his prime that's going to be there for four full seasons. You'll get it done eventually. When you look at how the league has changed, Brian, and you, and you watch every team and get a chance to do that while calling the Clipper games, is it difficult to build around two bigs? And I know that Blake really isn't a big anymore. He's kind of, you know, he leads the NBA in touches, over like 90 touches a game. He's kind of playing, like you said, that, that point forward spot. But can this work with a, a Blake and a Drummond, or do they need to get smaller? You know, it'll be interesting to see. I don't even put Blake as a big anymore because he can shoot the three. Drummond, I know, just by looking at his shooting charts over the last couple of years, is trying to branch out. I just don't think that's his game. 
you know, I feel like if you're going to, and this is just my opinion, I don't want to pretend to be in the front office or criticize anything that may or may not come down the road for, you know, the Pistons, but if you're going to invest in max players, to me, they've got to be on the perimeter. They've got to be able to shoot. That's where this league is at. You know, centers are, to me, they're nice to have, and Andre Drummond is an absolute load. I, I love him. And, you know, I remember DeAndre and Andre having their battles, and I couldn't be a bigger DeAndre Jordan fan, and I kept thinking, boy, that Andre Drummond is a real piece, man. He's really good. But to me, this game is moving out on the perimeter. I mean, you've got teams shooting 35 and 43s a game. And to have, you know, potentially 25 to 30% of your salary dedicated to a guy that struggles from the free throw line and isn't really an asset, uh, you know, out on the perimeter, to me, that's tough. But you've got to go sometimes against the grain. And that's what the Clippers were trying to do last year with Blake and, and Gallinari. Instead of loading up on the backcourt, you're not going to beat the Warriors at what they're doing. You know, you're not going to find a better Steph or Durant or Clay Thompson. It's not going to happen. Go the opposite direction. So maybe that's what you know Detroit tries to do and they keep those guys together. But I definitely feel at the end of the day, they need a, a, a real bona fide point guard. Again, in a point guard driven league, uh, perimeter help takes them a long way. And, uh, you know, I'm curious to see what they do with it. It's interesting. We're talking to Brian Seaman, the voice of the, uh, of the Clippers on the radio side. You know, the Pistons have never, quote unquote, tried to tank. The Clippers have kind of been in that middle slot, too. And actually, probably are having a better season, Brian, you tell me, than people thought uh, out in Los Angeles. How, how do teams that are kind of been in the middle uh, uh, adjust and adapt? I, I know the Clippers' philosophy was to get rid of the contract with Blake and technically start over, yet you look at what your record has been the last couple of years, and it's been a good team. You know, last year was they were trying to be good. They really were. They were trying to be a team that would be you know, right in the middle of the pack in the West, but injuries uh, not just to Blake, literally to the entire roster. They had 41 different lineups. Yet, some way, somehow, Doc Rivers found a way to 42 wins, one of, I think, his best coaching jobs he's ever done. That includes the 08 title season. This year, they, they were projected to win 35 games, and I know Vegas is not in the business to lose money, and I know that I'm not a front office exec, but I thought that was incredibly low uh, for a team that did have some returning talent after a surprise year last year. But, you know, Steve Ballmer, our wonderful owner, is not going to sit and watch courtside games where they're just not winning. They're just, it's not going to happen. Now, the Clippers and teams in maybe bigger markets potentially have a, an upper hand because they have a destination that players want to go to. You have, in my opinion, when it's all said and done, Steve Ballmer will be mentioned along the great owners of all time in all sports. I sincerely believe that. And when you have a coach like Doc Rivers that people gravitate towards, you've got a perfect storm where you don't have to wait for lottery picks. You don't have to keep getting those potential franchise players through that system, you can recruit them to come as free agents because you're proud of your organization. You're proud of what you have going along with just the stuff on the floor. So you won't see any tanking from the Clippers. You just won't because they don't need to do it. They're in that lucky spot. Uh, but they've created a lot of stuff here to get it to that point with a, a good locker room, good head coach, and a good front office. Do the Clippers feel, Brian, that, okay, LeBron is in town and sharing the building with us? Is that a, uh-oh, we're competing against LeBron, here come the Lakers again? Or do they – what's the approach? I, I've been out there a, a couple times but never never really understood how the, how the Clippers sort of viewed the, their neighbors there. 
you know, it's interesting. I think it's changed for sure. And, uh, you know, the leadership at the top is where that changes. And I think it trickles down. I know, you know, I've been here for 12 years. And when I first got here, you know, I remember uh, my first year, the uh, Lakers got Pau Gasol. And everybody in the organization was like, oh, here they go again. Now we're now we're in trouble again. And they kind of slumped their shoulders and had their head, held their heads low. But, you know, that all changed with Steve Ballmer. And so the reaction... And when LeBron came here, you know, as a basketball fan, I was like, man, that's neat. Okay, great. But I think the attitude from the organization was good for them, uh, but we're going to be better down the road. We're going to find our own way to get it done. And I don't think the Clippers really lost much sleep over it, to be honest, because the the eye is on the bigger prize. We knew the Clippers weren't going to be contending for a title this year. Uh, they're going to be contending for a playoff spot, but it's 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 a few years down the road uh, for the Clippers at the time of LeBron coming to the Lakers. So I think there's like good for you guys. We'll see you maybe in the conference finals, which I think would be other than me not getting per diem in that series. I think <laughs> it would be a great thing for the NBA and the people of Los Angeles. And I will say this too, with Tobias Harris and Boban, even if they're not playing well, I mean the two of them are like have turned in like this this whole BFF thing with the videos. They're hilarious. Oh, it's and it's true. That's the best part. And I don't think people understand. They are legitimate friends. And uh, is, if anybody has spent uh, 10 minutes around either one of them, number one, you know, Tobias Harris is a class act all the way through. And he doesn't, you know, as the kids say, don't talk about it, be about it. This guy has got a great, uh, you know, outlook and he's dedicated to his craft. Boban is just as hard of a worker as anybody on the roster. But, boy, can he unplug with the best of them and just have a good time. And, you know, I, I've heard that, you know, Boban is sought out after from all the former assistants in San Antonio wondering if they, the Clippers would trade him because he's such a great locker room presence. So, you know, when Boban has been out there, he's destructive. But, you know, obviously it doesn't always match up for him to play in certain games. But he's a treat for sure. And those guys are sincerely really good friends. And that's the best part about it. All right, final thing for Brian Seaman, the voice of the Clippers, Radio Voice, does a great job out in L.A. All right, you look at the league, and we talked about the Pistons a little bit, and, and the East and where everything lays and, and sort of goes. Um, number one, I guess, it's got to be healthy to be a, one of the radio voices around the league right now because the, the league is, is flourishing, and there's, there's so many stars and so much fun. And number two, I guess, when you look at Detroit and the East, it might not take as long to get this thing going because LeBron has left. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the, the gates opened up when LeBron left. And uh, what was it, eight straight years in the finals? And, I mean, e- even even though the, the Pistons struggled at, at the time of the game, uh, they played the Clippers. They were 4-16 and 16 in their last 20 games. I think they're more of the 13-7 and 17 than they were when they started. And I think they'll get to a happy medium there. And, Honestly, I mean, what were they, two or three games under 500 when we saw them? If they can get to 500, it sounds like they're going to get into the playoffs. You're the sixth seed out east, and that's not going to be that hard to do because when you look at the east, you know, you've got your 15 teams. I would say nine times out of ten, Blake Griffin's going to be the best player on the floor or at least playing the best basketball, and that always gives you an advantage, and any coach will tell you that. So. If I'm a Pistons fan, I would just wipe my memory clean of the month of December and the start of 2019, press the reset button, because I think once Ish Smith gets back and they get that kind of lineup recalibrated, they're going to be just fine. Brian, great to visit with you. Thanks for uh, taking us inside that scene on uh, Saturday, which certainly was special for Blake Griffin. I know for the Clippers it wasn't the greatest, but uh, 
I know you appreciated that and uh, appreciate the time. Next time we talk, it'll be after the Clippers beat Detroit. That's my, my fingers <laughs> are crossed for that one. Have a good one, Matt. Take care. There's Brian Seaman, the longtime play-by-play voice of the L.A. Clippers. Does a fantastic job for them. Was with the Minnesota Timberwolves before. And Brian, up close and personal with Blake Griffin, certainly for eight and a half years in L.A. before the trade last year. And he likes what he sees uh, from Blake, certainly in a a Pistons uniform. And, And like I said, Saturday's game, afternoon start in L.A., kind of a revenge tour type of situation for number 23. And it's not like he scored 30 and they came up short. They won the game, all right, against a better Clippers team based on record. But he put up 44, 8, 8, and 5. Or excuse me, 44, 8, and 5, and 3. Three steals. He hit five threes. He took over the game. And he had an attitude about him. He didn't want to talk after the game about dissing the Clippers. He didn't want to get into certain... Blake Griffin had an edge that is Detroit. And you know if he ends up staying the remainder of his contract and being here the rest of this year, we'll be here the rest of this year, and the next three years, embrace it. If you're a Pistons fan, you've got to love seeing a guy that has that chip on his shoulder and that attitude. The guys like Chauncey and Rip and Isaiah and Big Ben and Rashid and Joe D, all those guys had. Blake Griffin, he's a badass, man. So thanks to Brian Seaman for joining us. This has been Wired, presented by Jeep. Hopefully the Pistons get back on track with three home games this week. We'll talk to you again next week right here. Matt Derry saying so long.